Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. The world of purchasing used equipment was always very mysterious to me, very opaque. It was so hard to determine whether I was paying a fair price. And then there was the question, what could go wrong with it? How much would it cost to get it going again? Noah Graff, our guest today, is a third-generation worldwide used machinery dealer and self-described treasure hunter based outside of Chicago. Noah very patiently peeled back the reality of buying used machinery and helped me better understand how to think about buying. Made me more comfortable. Some tactics and strategies in buying. We also get into some of his adventures in Europe looking for a very specific machine tool and how serendipity is a standard tool in his toolbox. There was a surprise turn into a discussion on negotiating and a favorite author and thinker of both of ours, Chris Voss. Chris Voss is a former FBI hostage negotiator and wrote Never Split the Difference. Noah and I specifically talk about his no question, which is quite different than the getting to yes that's standardly taught in negotiations. Lots of nuggets here, and in general, Noah's a pretty funny guy. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Noah. Oh, thank you so much, Jay. Thank you for having me. It's This is really fun. Same. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, so many questions on your specialty, your field. And you are located in Chicago, I believe. I am. I was there last week with my daughter. We had a one-on-one trip where we got to spend a lot of time with her and had a super time in the city. What was your favorite thing? There were so many favorite things. We stayed at the Chicago Athletic Association Hotel on Michigan Ave, right across from the Bean. And that is such a cool hotel if people haven't been there, it's worthwhile stopping in to see the lobby. It, it's so old school. Uh, That's not the same as the East Bank Club. That's no, different. no. This is a hotel. The banquet floor on the first floor is where the pool used to be. So the floor is tiled with the swim lanes and the deep end, things like that. On the fourth floor, there's a basketball court. Fun building, a little speakeasy in there that you would never know about. Uh, you walk right by. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, and then the Bean is right across the street. The pavilion there, we went one evening, sat on the grass, and listened to an orchestra play. 
had a wonderful time. I think one of the, the highlights, not probably a common museum to visit, is was called Wonder, W-N-D-R, and it's an interactive digital one. So much fun. Oh, that's that's where you like they have like the Van Gogh thing and No, there's a lot of what one was what and... what did you see? Was was it like a specific exhibit? It's a interactive. They have a variety of these. Yeah, I see the ads for those. Yeah. They'll have yeah, like the... a Van Gogh one and I think Ma- yeah, you know... maybe they yeah, chance the rapper is sort of highlighted in this one. So there are a few things that there there's mirrors, there's optical illusions the i've heard those are really cool yeah and interactive we had a lot of fun at that one and start off i want to ask you about a phrase that you describe yourself and that says a treasure hunter what does that mean all right well first let me give you a little context about me I am a machinery dealer, a used machinery dealer. My company, Graf Pinkert, we've been around uh, about 80 years and uh, about over 20 years. uh, My father started a a magazine called Today's Machining World. It was a print magazine. Then it changed into a website. And then we started our podcast, Swarfcast. And about 2011, I joined the family business, the used machinery business, Graf Pickard. Mm-hmm. You know, I had been lured in to the, to the magazine back in the mid-2000s. I was, I was into film and video, and my dad, he was slightly ahead of his time with, with broadband. He was about two years ahead, and he's like, oh, come in, and, and we're going to do video stories and stuff with the magazine and and I made training videos etc but there wasn't as much video stuff yet so I started writing and then mm-hmm. once we went online it was like we had a little more time and ironically the publication made money for the first time when it wasn't in print but I joined the the family business which was started by my grandfather and we specialize in precision machine tools, specifically Mm -hmm. screw machines, multi-spindle screw machines. And that's always been our bread and butter. People, you know, I think other dealers over time, they were more into that, but then we stayed in that and we've gotten into CNC machines, mainly other types of turned parts CNC machines over the last, I don't know, 10 years as our customers who were in multi-spindle screw machines and Swiss machines, as they diversified, we diversified because we already had the customers there. So you asked about the treasure hunting. I guess, you know, it, it, it comes down to a lot of these machines we buy. Again, these are mechanical multi-spindle screw machines. Some of them are you know, as 70 years old still. I, mm. I I like to say with the cam multi-spindle screw machines, if I was alive when it had been built, then it's relatively new. So, you know, these are machines like Acme yeah. Gridley's, 
Wickman's. And now, you know, there's a lot of machines. There's the CNC multi-spindles. So those can be, if you bought one new, they're like $2.5 million. And -hmm. so there's still a niche for the mechanical screw machines because if people don't need parts that are so tight tolerance or so complex and they just need them pretty good, you know, they can buy a multi-spindle screw machine from us or one of our competitors for, you know, $30,000 to $250,000, $350,000. If you go to like a rebuilder, rebuilder, (laughs) our machines, we might sell, I'd say from 20,000 to, you know, 150,000 if it was tooled up. So you have these machines that are often overlooked because they it's the old adage of one man's trash is another man's treasure because Mm -hmm. you've got these machines that are sitting in a corner maybe they don't have people with the skills to run them maybe new management comes in and they say you know we want to modernize i don't we don't care maybe these are great machines but let's get into the 21st century and let's buy you know, multi-axis mills or CNC multi-spindles, even if they may not need it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So there's a little context of these treasures. And, you know, again, we'll buy some of them. And I work with my father, Lloyd, and I work with another guy, Rex, who, you know, often when I was starting out, he'd take me under his wing. We'd go and we'd look at all these oily, dirty screw machines sitting in these warehouses. And he says, the dirty machines are the ones you make the most money on. So I I was around 30, 31. I was seeing an analyst. I was trying to, to figure out what was up with my life. And I was also making documentaries on the side. I'd actually made a documentary about Ferris Bueller's Day Off and all the locations of the movie in Chicago. And I went to every single location and like, you know, tried to re- recapture the experience of the film. And this is actually going somewhere, you'll see. So, you know, I'm telling him about that. And then he's like, you know, you're a treasure hunter. It's like you're doing all these location scouting for the films and you're scouring the world for these machines, these overlooked machines. And, you know, when you're trying to figure things out and it's good to reframe things in your mind, you know, I started thinking of it as as treasure. It's sort of more of a romantic view than I'm going to buy somebody's crap um, Mm -hmm. and then fix it up or clean it up and then sell it to somebody else, which, I mean, maybe other people wouldn't mind that. Anyways, because it's clever, but Mm -hmm. when you have this idea in your mind of you're looking for treasure, I don't know, all of a sudden things, there's, there's an energy that comes Mm -hmm. with it. I'll call these other dealers and I'll say, Hey, do you have any treasure for me right now? (laughs) And And that's what you're known for. Well, I'm known for treasure hunting on my podcast. In addition to talking we talk to a lot of precision people just like you do well you you talk to maybe a few more diverse like you know 3d printers etc but 
in any case, it, when I do my solo podcast, I talk a lot about serendipity because this is the thing wow. that fuels our business. You talk to one thing, one person about one thing, and then you hear something else, and then you go and you hear something else from another person. And it's like this hunt for treasure. Now, I mean, literally, we have bought machines like we bought machines in the caves in Kansas City. There were these caves underground with these machines. The government had had created this arsenal in case, I, I think it was around the Korean War, in case of another war, they wanted these multi-spindle screw machines. They were called mm-hmm. cones. And then one day, eventually, the government was like, you know, let's just get rid of these things. So, you know, they were selling them for pennies on the dollar. And so that was an example of actually like literally like going in and underground and finding these machines. So you're a manufacturing version of Indiana Jones and probably with a little less danger. Oh, God, that's that's awesome. I love that. You're totally boosting my ego. Um, One time I bought a machine um, in Slovenia. We have this great customer in Spain, and they were looking just for the weirdest, most esoteric Shitta multi-spindle, this old brand that was configured a certain way, and it was a spindle stopper. And, you know, I'm looking on the internet, and all of a sudden I find, bingo, this person in Slovenia has it. So mm-hmm. I get together with these guys, and... This one guy, Javier, who speaks English, and then another guy who speaks Spanish, and his engineer, and and then we go to Slovenia, and we meet the dealers in Slovenia, and one of them kind of speaks English, and the other one only speaks, like, sort of speaks Italian, and I speak Italian, and the other guy speaks Spanish, and between, like, the four of us, we were able to communicate, and then... They showed the, we went and we found this machine and it was in a barn and like in the next wall, you could hear the cows mooing. So, you know, we just, it's just the, the craziest places like treasure. Here's an, here, here's one of my favorite examples. And this is like total serendipity. You know, I, I don't, I, I love to talk about serendipity, like, you know, for, for people that aren't really that well versed in it it's it's being in the right place at the right time keeping your eyes open for various mm-hmm. things eyes and ears and and i have various techniques i can talk about that i use but as far as treasure so i was i there was this index machine so if you brought by these index multi-spindle screw machines if you bought one new it's like 2.5 million dollars mm-hmm. this machine it was from 1999 it was like you know one of the first of its kind of this cnc multi-spindle and it was a couple hundred thousand dollars i find this guy online in he was like a couple hours from stuttgart and with one of these machines again this is just you know these are just esoteric these i mean first of all screw machines are already sort of esoteric but i mean there's only a few used ones floating around in the world so that's mm. the fun part you get to go all around the world mm. so i call up this guy i call up this guy my friend wolfgang and wolfgang refers me to this machine and then i have this brazilian customer 
His name was Ro- Rogerio. And Rogerio really needed this machine. He already had one just like it in Brazil. Mm. So we meet up in Stuttgart. And I, I happen to really like Rogerio. He's a great guy. And we drive a few hours. We get to this machine. We look at the machine. He says he likes it. And then, but he's like, hey, I have to go back to my boss. I need, you know, I need till the end of the week. Can you mm-hmm. hold it for me? And I said, there really are no holds in this business. Like nobody. <laughs> that, that just right, if you can happen. sell it, you can sell it. <laughs> that, that, that just doesn't happen, you know, like business is business. But he says, all right. So he goes home to Brazil. I like to stay back in the day before I was married with a child. I would always, if I would say, go to Europe to find machines, I'd stay there a little while because something always seems to come up while you're there and you go visit this guy and this guy and this guy, things that you Mm -hmm. probably should be doing while you're in the United States, but you do it. You have the excuse to do it because you're over there. It's like the paradigm in your mind changes, right? So anyways, I had already budgeted a little time left. I stay there another day and then I call the guy the next day selling the machine. Is it still there? No, sorry, we sold it. So I had gone all the way there. Guy had gone from Brazil all the way there and they sell the machine the next day. So I'm just, I'm lying in bed. I'm really pissed off. And I was like, all right, what can I do? Who can I call? I want to make the most of this trip. So I call my friend Javier in Spain. He's actually the same guy that I went to to buy the machine with in Slovenia. And I say, Javier, you know, are you looking for anything? Do you have anything you want to sell? And he says, actually, yeah, you know, I have one of these MS42 indexes. We have two of them we're looking to get rid of. And that was the exact machine I came for. So I was like, all right, hold on. I'm flying to Barcelona. Fly to Mm -hmm. Barcelona. Check out the machines. They look fine. Call Rogerio. Rogerio was like, okay, well, I can come, but I have to, you know, I need a couple of weeks. So I'm like, all right. I go home. And and then my wife, it just so happened, she just lost her job. And like the next weekend, Rogerio is like, okay, I can come and see the machine. I was like, hey, Stephanie, would you like to come to Europe with me? You know, you're not, you don't have a job anyways, right? So let's go look at these machines and then just like go around Europe and look at machines, et cetera. So she comes with me, we go to Spain and we sell Rogerio two machines and like (laughs) have a way better deal than we would have had before. And then we went and traveled around Europe and looked at other machines and it was just like the most amazing thing. We call it our, our first honeymoon, even though we weren't married yet. <laughs> so that's an example of a treasure hunt. And, you know, I can tell you certain methods I use to to find the, the treasure if you. Well, that's probably more relevant to you. Okay. As the well, tell me what. How, however, you said something about there's specific techniques that you use to create serendipity. That's what or, I was about to talk about. Oh, yeah. okay. This if is, if This is if, the fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, that, that's what I want to... I want more serendipity. How do I do that? Okay. So I'm not going to take credit for all this because I interviewed a guy 
on our podcast. And I should know the number of the podcast right off the top of my head, but I don't. His name is Christian Bush. And this guy wrote a book called The Serendipity Mindset. And it teaches you ways to find serendipity. Like, you know, those people out there who are like, they always seem to be in the right place at the right time. They're always just finding this magic, right? And he found patterns in the kind of things that these people do. And so there's various tricks you can do that I try to incorporate every day as a machinery dealer. So here's one one trick. It's sort of like what I did in that story. It's called serendipity bombs. So this is where you're looking for something. And, you know, again, it's like there's only a few of these machines all over the world. But you go and you email, say, six people who, Mm -hmm. you know, they're all long shots, but maybe one of them will pay off. Say you need a good guest for your podcast. And they're all long shots, but they're all like sort of your dream guests. If you do a whole bunch of them, you never know what you're going to turn up. You know, I mean, it seems so simple, but another thing is what he calls serendipity hooks. Now, this is where you're in a conversation and you want certain information to come out that could perhaps help you. So, Uh for instance, if somebody meets me somewhere, say at a conference or something, and they say, Noah, what do you do for a living? I could just say, I'm a machinery dealer. And a lot of people, they might just go, huh? Like, they don't even know what the hell that means. Uh Or I could say, well, you know, I'm a used machinery dealer, but I also have a podcast and you know, I'm really into serendipity and I I love, I actually, my, one of my passions is salsa dancing and, but all my time right now is getting taken up by my one-year-old. All of a sudden Uh you have like five things to talk about. You never know Uh what's going to strike a chord with these people. And sometimes it really can create magic. So if I'm, for instance, Uh doing a call for somebody, like I'm, say somebody writes to me online they're looking for a citizen swiss screw machine Mm -hmm. i will before i call them i will go on their website and i'll look like what else do they have you know they have star machines now they have some acme screw machines something totally different and then when i call them rather than just like only cutting to the chase you know, I say, hey, okay, well, this is what you called for. But by the way, we have, you know, we have this Acme machine too. We have this Citizen machine that you didn't ask about, but I noticed on your website, you also have that. And all uh-huh. of a sudden, all this magic comes out because, you know, I, I you've had your own business and I'm, I'm sure you've done sales stuff. And if you call somebody and you say, is there anything you're looking for? Is there anything you want to buy? Is there anything you want to sell? And usually people go, yeah, we're cool. Uh, Uh You know, thanks for calling. But if you bring up something that you know that they know about, you know, sometimes they Uh go, oh, 
well, actually, you know, we that machine's just sitting in the corner right now. We we really want to get rid of it. And you go, mm. oh, really? Oh, well, how much are you asking for it? Or they go, well, actually, yeah, that's the real machine we're looking for. There's this website called Machinio. You know, there's a lot of places where people find machine tools, machinetools.com, surplus record. But Machinio, they're sort of notorious. A lot of dealers don't like it because they just scrape the dealer's website. And even if there's a sold sign on the machine on the website, they will still <laughs> often put the machine on their website. And so, I mean, a few things happens. People sometimes call or they email when they get a bulletin about a machine that you don't have. And of mm -hmm. course this pisses some people off and, you know, they continue getting the same thing that you don't have. However, often they call or email about this machine and it's not even really the machine they want. They're it's sort of like the machine they want. And, you know, but it turns out they're looking for something else. Or they call about it and you don't have it. So I, I don't I don't like putting other people's machines on our website. I like other dealers' machines on our website unless mm -hmm. they give me special permission. Some dealers just they don't care. They'll just put anybody's stuff on their site. Mm -hmm. But they'll say, Oh, you know, I'm looking for this machine. And I go, like the other day, a guy called up and he was looking for this Sugami swiss machine that we didn't have and then i was like oh i'm sorry i don't have that and then i thought about my friend randy in california dealer and he had called me about this exact same model of machine not long before he he was like yeah i have this machine i'm thinking of getting rid of it i think i'm trading it for a different machine and i was advising him on it and then i call him after I hear this guy, because I'm just like, I, I know I've heard of this machine. It's somewhere. So I call Randy. Oh, yeah, I still have the machine. You know, what kind of discount can you have? Can you give me? Oh, all right. I'll give you, you know, 15 percent discount. Call the guy back. Is this guy from Oklahoma making some sort of firearms thing? And and bingo, sold the machine. And, and often it, it's much harder than that. But, it, you know, I, I had my my ears out. I was I was thinking about something I had seen. And, you know, the guy asked the right question. He called about a different machine than the one he really wanted. And I mean, that's pure serendipity. That's just that's just a beautiful thing. Yes. And which, you know, it's just like you we, when we were preparing for this, you you mentioned another thing we're doing now. We're getting into the buying and selling of machining companies because a lot yes. of a lot of our customers, you know, they don't have succession plans or they want to expand, et cetera. So here's another serendipity hook. You know, whoever I talk to at the end of the conversation, because most conversations, you know, they, they don't actually lead to a transaction right away, you know, mm -hmm. but I say. Oh, by the way, you know, I just have to tell you this because I this is what we tell everybody now. You know, we are brokering machining companies specifically in your category in precision machining. 
are you looking to acquire somebody? Now, usually I don't like to ask if people are looking to be acquired. I, I feel like, I don't know. I, I don't know if that that's, although people are less offended by it than I think they will be. But usually you say, oh, are you looking to acquire somebody? And then they'll say, oh, well, actually, yeah. You know, we're looking for a company that has a product or we're looking nice. for a Swiss company. Or they say, actually, you know, we're kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. We're, you know, we're, we kind of want to get out of this business. Nice. And I go, oh, you don't say, well, listen, I have somebody who is looking specifically for something like you you know would it be a problem to explore this further mm -hmm. and that's it's the magic happens with that it's it's so much better than like you have this business and you're calling people up cold calling oh do you want to buy or sell your business blah 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 like that's i hate when people call me to say that and it's you're going to rub a lot of people the wrong way although if somebody really is interested they might you know well, it sounds like you're setting serendipitous hook your your lead is the buying or selling of equipment the hook is exactly. going to be the transaction of the company potentially and exactly you, you you come about it obliquely as opposed to that head on where you will meet the resistance hmm. exactly exactly it's much more organic it's much more first you got the serendipity hook which is beautiful but then it's just it's less threatening you have a little bit more credibility too because you're talking about you're already talking about a product you know they've mm -hmm. already invited you to call them about something and so and you already have this kind of rapport so it it works we're really just getting going on it but it's worked really cool so far you shared a question you asked them would it be a problem to discuss this further and have you ever read the book never split the difference by chris foss it's my favorite i'm all about the no questions everything is a no question could you explain what the no question is and why it's important yeah, this is this is like one of my other favorite things to talk about. And I interviewed these guys. So for people who don't know, we're giving up all our secrets here. There's this book. <laughs> there's this negotiation book. It's called Never Split the Difference. It's by a guy named Chris Voss. And he also co-wrote it with his son, Brandon Voss. He's sort of mm -hmm. a silent writer on there. This guy, he was an ex-hostage negotiator an FBI hostage negotiator. And he retired to get into advising businesses on how to negotiate. Because a lot of the standard academic negotiation principles, I mean, there's something to them, but there's a lot of flaws in them. You know, to him, negotiation is a lot about emotion. It's when you're when you're negotiating with people who are kidnappers, you have to, you can't, they're, they're not thinking logically. So they're not thinking, oh, well, you know, they want $10. I want to pay $5. I'm going to do X. And, We've got know. 10 hostages. How about you kill five and the other five go free? That's okay. not a good solution. <laughs> right. So one of the beautiful things in the book is called 
a no question. And he actually, this came from, there was another guy named Jim Camp, another negotiator who he was close with, who had a book called Start With No. And the idea is that everybody is, everybody sort of is intimidated by somebody else trying to get a yes out of them. We're like abused animals. Like somebody's mm-hmm. trying to get us to say yes. They're threatening to us. They they want something from me. But if you say no, if you if you start a question with, you know, would it be a problem for you to come on my podcast? All of a sudden, they're, you know, like if there is a problem, no big deal. Doesn't have a problem with saying no. Or if you're calling somebody on the phone, if you're cold calling somebody on the phone, you say, rather than say, is this a good time? You say, is this a bad time? Because then people kind of think to themselves, oh, well, I guess it's not a terrible time. You know, like, all right, I'll call. They they did studies that showed like 20% more of like cold calling for telemarketers landed because people were doing that. Or a favorite of mine is this is this is like would it be crazy so so if yes. say you're <laughs> say you're offering a machine or say somebody you know is selling a machine for a hundred thousand dollars maybe they don't even tell you what they want for it whatever mm-hmm. but you say would it be crazy to pay you you know sixty five thousand dollars and it probably is crazy maybe it's not so first of all, you're not offending them necessarily. Second of all, you've laid what they call an anchor. So he knows that you're already thinking this kind of lower price or she. Mm-hmm. And then you can take it from there. But you've you've disarmed it. You haven't, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the best one of the best no things. And I, I it sounds like you you've read this book a lot and you know about it a lot, but do you remember the thing with the emails? This this I call the nuclear bomb. So most people in professional settings, they've experienced when they want something from somebody and they're trying to call them and they're trying to email them and they just go silent on them. And uh-huh. they're driving you crazy. All you want is for them to say yes or no. Like mm-hmm. at, at one point, you're just put me out of my misery. Let's just say yes or no. So I know whether I should go on and talk to somebody else or, you know, take advantage of some other opportunity. You are driving me crazy. And, you know, and I'm already texting them with no questions like, you know, are you not interested in this machine anymore? you know, are you too busy to come over? Would it be impossible? I love the impossible. Would be would it be impossible for you to get me photographs of this machine over here? <laughs> but you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and it's you're thinking this is over. Okay. So you write a one sentence email. You either put no subject line or you write in the subject line and the one it's one sentence email you write, have you given up on this project? Mm-hmm. No, hi, no, sincerely. It's just that nine times out of 10, you will get a response. And maybe 50% of the time, 
the response probably more than 50% of the time is, oh, no, no, we haven't given up. We, we just don't know yet. We're just waiting. Right. People don't want to tell you that they don't know. You know, they don't want to deal with that BS. Yeah. They don't want to deal with you being on their back. Maybe they're embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And it is the most beautiful thing. Now, you have to wait. You can't just like use it right away. Like otherwise, it, right. it's ridiculous. At the at the appropriate time. Yeah. yeah, I'm in a coaching group with Chris, and I'll share oh, a really? funny. Yeah, I'll share a funny no in the dating world. Uh, he put out there, and you ask someone, ask a woman if you're a guy, have you given up on meeting the man of your dreams? Is is that like as a as a line at a bar? Well, he doesn't clarify and I'm in a relationship, so I haven't used it. However, I can imagine as you were talking about setting the anchor, you know, is this guy possibly the man of my dreams? And reframing the whole the whole interaction. It's probably more of a casual one. It's interesting. It's sort of cheesy in a way, but it's but sure. it's also got some but if you're gonna go with a cheesy line. It's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. So anyways, I thought <laughs> it's, it is the no question and, and hopefully your wife and, and my girlfriend aren't listening, but in relationships is pretty effective too. Uh, oh yeah. Side. Yeah. I know that stuff is, it's, it's so important. It's so important. I mean, you know, all this stuff then you've been working with them. I, I mean, as you know, just associated with the no, you know, there's the labels and the false labels, you know, mm-hmm. so one of the things that that Voss loves to talk about is, is when you're talking to somebody. So you there's two things, there's mirrors and there's labels. So mirrors mm-hmm. is where somebody says something, and then yes. you repeat it back to them. And that creates new information. Mm-hmm. The other thing is labels. So labels are something where you, you somebody says something and you 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 try to summarize what they're saying you say it seems like it sounds like it looks like mm-hmm. so say you're in a negotiation and it's like they make one offer you make one offer and then you say something like it seems like you have a ceiling for what mm-hmm. you could pay yeah. sounds like you have a budget that, that mm-hmm. you know you're you're trying to so this way you're not having to ask a yes or no question i mean you could also say no question is this is this a crazy price you know mm-hmm. but we we were advised by uh by brandon boss we we actually hired him to to do i don't know if they do this kind of thing anymore but you know you could just ask for like a private session and they'll they'll you can tell them about a specific deal and we had worried about offending this customer that we had had a deal gone bad with mm. and they were we were worried they were going to get their lawyers into it and mm. we have this zoom meeting and brandon voss tells us to do this thing and so what we say is you guys must be furious at us for how this whole thing has gone down you might or it was something like you might you guys must hate our guts and you go so overboard Yes. Kind of a no question, but it's it's what's called yeah. a, fa- a false label, you know. Yeah. So you're you're saying the opposite probably of what they're thinking, and then usually they go, "Oh well, no, I mean, it, 
we don't hate you. Don't, you know, let's not get carried away. I remember we told that to our lawyer and he was like, oh my God, that's genius. You totally disarmed them with that. <laughs> and, and the negotiation went, went okay after that. You know, they, it was a machine that was a total disaster and they wanted to return it. And we did, but things, you know, you kind of mitigated the situation. Noah, we're, we've been chatting for a while. I, I do have some specific use machinery questions. And Love if I it. can run these by you, maybe we could try to tackle them in a um, more rapid fire question answer sense. When I think about buying used equipment, when I used to think about it, I must admit I had a lot of fear and fear of overpaying, fear mm -hmm. of maybe buying a lemon, it not working or working correctly, and no one around to help me get past these issues as opposed to a new machine that's under warranty and that they want you sure. to be successful. I have a few questions around buying used equipment, and as I thought of them, as like you know what it, it sort of gets it's down to how do I get past these fear issues? So when I'm buying new machinery versus used machinery, particularly today when there's a lot of advantages of software, why would I want to buy a used machine? And I'm getting a sense from some of the equipment that you talked about. There's price and there's a performance right. per that price point. In general, though, I don't want to be left behind from a technology standpoint. How okay. do I get around that? Right. So, I mean, right. I mean, I brought up the thing before where some of the machines we sell, you can't even buy them brand new, you know? So, right, right. It's, it's not apples to apples. So you're not, you're not really referring to that. You're referring to, say, a machine from 2010 that versus, like, say you're buying a, you know, a turning center or a Swiss machine, say it's a right. citizen machine from 2010 versus buying the new one. So, and you're, you're saying if, if you're a buyer, what, what do you want to look at? I assume the 2010 will cost less, probably significantly less. And I probably can get it sooner since it's. That's, it's that's one value proposition. You can get it sooner. How about the technology standpoint, though? Because, and I'll give you a, a reference point. We had Haas machining centers standardized on them, and we did an experiment one point. We had a five year old Haas that we had bought new, and we brought a, and these are VF2s, we brought a brand new one in. We ran the same exact program, and I think it was, there was a 16% cycle reduction in the new machine versus the old. Wow. And it blew our minds. And Obviously, Haas is doing things along the way to get these performance enhancements with their machines, and the iron looked pretty much the same uh, as far as, as we can tell. That's part of my fear. Okay, when I'm buying a, a 2010, what am I giving up? And let's yeah. say I have the cash where I could consider a new one. Sure. You know, I think you have to take it on a machine by machine basis and how old is old right like mm -hmm. again like lately we've been working with some swiss machines like citizen swiss machines sliding headstock machines you know they've been hard to get so there's been a good used market so one thing as you said lead time could be a big deal you know i'll tell you what the end users 
are looking at when they buy it from us. They're looking at hours. So that's a huge thing. You know, if something might be five years old and it's, Uh but it has five times as many hours as something that's 10 years old, you know, the parts may be worn out by that. But if you're talking about technology, I think that's definitely something you can research. You know, you do your homework like, I know, again, with the Citizen, I'm just bringing this up because this is something I've been learning about lately. They make several types. They make a type 8 and a type 10 and a type 12. You could still buy a type 8 now, brand new, and you could buy a similar type 8 from uh, 15 years ago. I'm not sure if the cycle time is going to be better. I don't really think so. I think often the machines we sell a lot of it just comes down to how smart the people are, how good the operators are. And the machines we sell are for very high volume stuff. But I, I could I could be I'm, wrong. You know, I'm not that familiar with Haas's different machines, well, different different companies improve faster than yeah. others. And well, what I'm hearing though is maybe use machinery makes sense when you already have that equipment and you that's understand a big, it. That is a big thing. When we're selling used machinery, I highly prefer selling a used machine to somebody who already has that or has something very similar. Because if it's a multi-spindle screw machine and we can help them support them a little bit, that's one thing. But if it's a CNC machine that we're not that familiar with, it's both a blessing and a curse for us. You know, we we choose to take sort of a hands-off approach and say, please come and inspect this because I don't mm-hmm. want to be responsible if it's not what you want. And it's and when you say inspect, is that under power? I mean, that's obviously ideal. Some machines, people say, I don't need it under power, but it's an expensive machine or even, you know, I mean, everybody's got a different idea what expensive machine is for somebody. $20,000 may be an expensive machine. It may be something they've, they've mortgaged their house for. I re I, I, I feel very uncomfortable selling machines to people who don't come out because that that's always when there's problems. Mm. So my advice to people is always go and inspect, spend the two grand or however much, it takes to come out or hire somebody to come and look at the machine. And then also, if it's going to be a much older machine, you better either have that machine or have somebody, maybe you just have a really good guru, you know, who can set it up for you, et cetera. Because if it's older, there's going to be spare parts that are going to be harder to get. And some companies are so much better at giving you spare parts than others. You know, some are terrible they're hard to get the parts and and certain machines the hardware just stands up and other machines it doesn't like index machines index turning centers index multi-spindles you see machines online from the mid 90s people still want them even though the computers are bad are, Mm -hmm. are are much more primitive but then you know there's so many other machines that you shouldn't buy them if they're more than 15 years old in in my opinion but it it just it so depends on the buyers some of the buyers are just really slick and they at least feel they really know the machines really well and they just i know a guy he's got 17 swiss machines he's one of the most knowledgeable people i know and his favorite 
citizen is the type seven, which they don't even make anymore. It's, you know, they stopped making it in the mid 2000s. So new isn't always better. But it, yes, sometimes people call and it's their first machine. And of course, they're trying to get a bargain. Mm-hmm. And I often will just say, I'll advise them, you know, because I know, I know quite a few, uh, quite a bit about new machines in our, you know, in our specialty. And then I'll kind of advise them based on who I know and based on the various service. Because one of the things I joke about is that we specialize in imperfect equipment. Uh, If it's perfect, we're not going to make much money on it. So we probably don't have it. It's got to be something that is a little older or we got it somewhere weird or like it's, you know, it's got a strange bar loader. So when people come and they want something that's perfect, I'm just, you know, it's, it's going to be, it can be really, really good. But for somebody else that wants new, it's not. How do I know I'm not overpaying that I'm not getting gouged? Because a lot of these, there are not necessarily ways to compare the market value against other pieces. Well, I love this question from you because for those that don't know, I'm going to be interviewing you after this. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm so interested in is interviewing you about pricing, because I know this is something you know about from running your own company. And Mm -hmm. so the question was, how do you know if you've overpaid or not? That, Mm -hmm. That was the question? Well, there's always the fear that you buy, whether it's a piece of machinery, a used car, whatever, well, that market's pretty transparent. Something that is not as transparent where you buy something and the next day you see the same thing and it's 80% of the price, 75% of the price, and it's, yeah. it's equivalent. And you're like, oh, I feel like a schmuck. Yeah, well, that's part just dealing with yourself. I mean, the mental part. I guess after the fact, you have to just say, all right, well, and I I think this, and once in a while, I'll tell this to a customer, but only sort of jokingly, it's like they're haggling over two grand or something and to finalize the sale. And I'm thinking, God, you're going to make hundreds of thousands of parts with this machine. How much money are you going to make with this machine over the next decade? And, but, but that still doesn't go to your question. So your question is, how do I know that I got yeah, the I'm right getting price? a fair price? I, I'm not even the right price, a fair price. Uh, well, if you've read Never Split the Difference, so you hate the word fair. It's like a four-letter word. I, I, but, I know. well, one thing obviously you can do is find the machine, find a similar machine and call a bunch of dealers and compare prices based on that. You know, some people have told me, you know, oh, it, depreciates in value and you know th- this many years it it should cost x and i don't buy that stuff it's not a boat it's not a car so i guess that would be one thing i just compare it to what else is on the market i would you know there are certain dealers certain people in business you deal with that make you feel better about when you're buying something than others I run into this all the time because I'm specking on machinery and you always wonder afterward, could I have gotten it for a better deal? Could I? 
I'll tell you one thing I've really learned, and it should be, you know, duh, but like, you know, we've gotten scammed like sometimes in this business, mm-hmm. you know, where we bought a machine, we paid for it, and we didn't even get it. And mm. it was a horror story about some machines that we bought in Japan, and we lost a lot of money on it. And the reason it was a disaster was that we thought we had found this hookup. We thought we had found this great way to go around all the people in Japan who you have to go around to get the machines here. And we thought we had this secret and we didn't want to tell anybody about our source. And then we tried it. We bought one machine from them as a test. It came out okay. And then... We spent a lot of money and then the machines didn't come. And afterward, we checked up on this guy and people were like, oh, that guy's bad. We could have even just done a stupid Google search and found it. But had we checked with other dealers we knew, we would have realized he was, you know, a total criminal and we wouldn't have done this. So that's another it's just. Uh, oh, the, it was so obvious. All I had to do was go and ask around about somebody and find out if they're bad or not. So that's another way of knowing, you know, if you're yep. getting a, a fair deal, you know, and and the same thing with buying a new machine, like ask around to the people nearby. Do they have I always people always ask me, which new machine should I buy? And I say, you know, most uh, most of them are pretty good. A lot of it is personal preference. This thing has one thing. This thing has another thing. But see what the most people around you have. See who has the best service. And, you know, I, I think if you if you go by just by those two things, you're probably going to be okay, at least for a little while. <laughs> Let's end with tapping into all of those conversations you have, all the serendipitous moments that you have created, you see the manufacturing world, the parts-making world from several different angles. And talk to me about whether you're positive, neutral, negative on manufacturing in the U.S. over the next few years and maybe some trends in general that we might in a gut way feel as shop owners however you're you're seeing it and feeling yeah. it from a lot of shop owners what, what's what's going on out there i do well with our business last year was our best year we ever had selling machinery now granted in our business you have a couple blockbuster deals and all of a sudden you think you know everything must be amazing you know cuz it's not like we make hundreds of deals all the time, you know, but I'm getting, we're getting less people actually buying anything. The year has been much slower. However, when I ask around to most people, I get this business is stable. We have some people say, oh my God, we have more than enough work. Some people say I have a little less. And a lot of people are like, I'm good. You know, granted, my backlog isn't as much, but business seems pretty good. And it sort of almost mirrors like what you hear about the economy. Like we haven't gone into a death spiral. 
things seem to be stable. And I think you can, you would agree with me that Main Street, they're just not, they're not in sync with the manufacturing economy. They, they, they're thinking about so many different things than we are. They don't know what's going on with people making parts, but a lot of people say there's uncertainty. I was talking to one dealer and I was saying, you know, a lot of our customers are saying things are, are pretty going pretty decently, you know? And he says, well, those are the customers who are calling you about machines, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is, you know, that's an interesting statement. I feel like things are going along. Okay. But maybe not going along so well that everybody is like, I need to expand. I need to, you know, blow up, you know, which is another thing I I think diversifying our business with the buying and selling companies is good because people might Mm. do that when things suck or when things are booming. In fact, you know, it's hard to know. Maybe people would want to do that more when things are having a hard time because they don't feel like dealing with it or they're scared or um, I don't know. Or, Did I answer your question fully? Yes. You answered the question. I'm going to rephrase it. Seems like the parts making business is holding its own. There's bright spots. And as I think, there's always shops who, for whatever reason, a lot of times of their own making aren't doing as well as they would like to. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great time for American manufacturing. There's so many projects to rebuild the infrastructure. And when I say infrastructure, bringing energy, materials, agriculture, some of the other things to us as well as our friends globally, the whole deglobalization trend, I think it bodes well. And as the money that the administration and Congress passed in the in the not very aptly named Inflation Reduction Act. Mm-hmm. A lot of that's going to go to manufacturing. I think there's a lot of opportunity and in this uncertainty, the fact that we're holding our own ground and we're not seeing the dips that we have sometimes in arts making, it, it's a good sign. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you think so. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're tapped into it as as much as anybody. Yeah. Well, no, this has been a great learning experience for me. We veered into a couple areas I didn't anticipate. You are such a knowledge base of all things machining and how you are sharing the knowledge with the manufacturing community is really powerful. It's it's the interactions you. you have with your customers, the today's machining world, the podcast that you have, you could simply buy and sell machines uh, yet you're putting yourself out there, creating, being sort of like that honeybee and, and, and spreading the nectar around. So I thank like you. Thank you for being on and doing this was a pleasure. This was yeah. so much fun. This is one of the, one of my, no offense to others, but you're one of the fa- most favorite people I've been interviewed on because I mean, you really, I, I, I can't wait to interview you because you know, so much I can tell you have, you have so much, so much in there and, but it, this has been a real pleasure. How can people reach you if they say, this guy sounds like someone I can trust and I want to do business with? Sure. Thank you. Well, 
used machinery business is Graf Pinkert. And you want to spell that out? Sure. It's G-R-A-F-F is in Frank and then P-I-N-K-E-R-T. So if you're looking mainly for turning equipment, both CAM and CNC, and then our new division that we've started is called Graf Pinkert Acquisitions and Sales. And so if you've if you've thought about buying or selling a company, you know, feel free to to reach out to us. And then todaysmachiningworld.com and Swarfcast. I'd uh, love it if people checked out our podcast. If you like this podcast, there's a decent chance you'd like our podcast. So that's S-W-A-R-F-C-A-S-T, Swarfcast. People who listen to this probably do know what Swarf is, which uh, is great. Yes. <laughs> and I just have to say, it's it's funny how, you know, I listen to your podcast and you start out with the sound of a machine going and end with one. I think you end with one. And we do the exact same thing. And it's our world. It's our world. I mean, we're the only ones I've heard people do that with. And so it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate this. And I look forward to talking to you again. Good to have you on, Noah. And for the listeners, I wish I still owned a shop so I could put some of these learnings from Noah into practice. Oh, that is the greatest compliment. For someone listening, you know, what did you come away with in our conversation? And I'm going to ask you to share that in the comments because your comments are relevant to other listeners. It's how they key in on the important points that came up in the podcast. And as an action item, maybe if you've never bought a used piece of equipment, go out and buy something. If it's be small, get that practice under your belt. Let serendipity happen. So until next Thank time, you. those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Smile and make it a great day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.